In the 14th century, Italian poet Dante Alighieri penned his masterpiece, The Divine Comedy. The epic poem tells the story of a lost pilgrim who is guided through hell to meet his beloved in heaven. This fantastic journey is also a coded allegory. Hidden in the symbolism is a much deeper story with a map of history that connects Dante's life with our own. This is Dante's history. Inferno, Canto 12 But fix thine eyes below, for draweth near the river of blood, within which boiling is whoever by violence doth injure others. To sum up the poem so far, Dante the Pilgrim and his guide, the ancient poet Virgil, have made it through six circles of the Inferno. Dante the Poet wrote this masterpiece while in exile to provide commentary on the ongoing civil war that had divided his homeland of Florence. In the last canto, the duo paused at the boundary of the seventh circle to get used to the foul smell of lower hell and to prepare themselves for the journey into the area reserved for the violent sinners. In this canto, they must cross a boiling river of blood and face a few centaur guards. Here, the poet shares his opinions on those who are more animal than man. A landslide of large broken rocks encircled the valley of the first ring of the seventh circle. There was something there waiting for them at the top of the slope, something every eye would shun. But Dante won't say what it is just yet. First, he describes the terrain, which is similar to a real landslide called Slovini di Marco, 15 miles south of Trent in northern Italy. The poet may have visited the location while staying at a nearby castle. According to local tradition, water erosion in the mountains and possibly an earthquake helped create the natural landmark. Virgil will soon give us an explanation how this ruin came to be here in the Inferno, but first they must contend with the mysterious and hideous obstacle Dante mentioned earlier, which he now identifies as the infamy of Crete. You may remember the story of Crete from an earlier canto, is best known for the tale of the Minotaur, a beast that devoured child sacrifices and was conceived via the union of the wife of King Minos and a wooden cow. The half-man, half-bull is a representation of rage and lust, but also the domination of the animalistic instinct over human intellect. It's also symbolic of the type of sinners of the seventh ring, those who are violent towards nature, their fellow humans, and themselves. When the beast sees our two travelers, in a fit of rage, it bites itself. Virgil taunts the Minotaur, joking that Dante is not the Duke of Athens, or Theseus, the hero that slew him. The reminder of his death sends the monster into a fit of semi-paralyzed rage. While it's distracted, Virgil ushers the pilgrim down a path in the landslide. As they carefully descend the rock slide, Virgil notes that the rubble was not there when he last visited the Inferno. He claims it was created when the universe was thrilled with love. This somewhat cryptic explanation has its roots in ancient philosophy, namely the doctrine of Empedocles 
who saw the world as moving between states of concord and chaos, or love and hate. The idea was that love unites elements into a whole in which there are no differences or distinction. Then discord leads back to chaos. The broken rocks of the landslide symbolize the divisive nature of hate and violence. Unlike the sins of incontinence, which mostly harm the individual, the sins of lower hell divide society, like a mighty mountain reduced to a pile of rubble. Virgil, a pagan, identifies the crucifixion of Christ as the event that turned a world thrilled with love back towards chaos. That moment also shook the inferno and created a landslide here and elsewhere. We'll encounter that other ruin in a future canto. Just beyond the landslide, our travelers come upon this ring's main attraction, an arched moat of boiling blood filled with damned souls who had an insane wrath. Unlike the wrathful of the muddy lagoon of the fifth circle, whose violence is the result of momentary passion, the wrath of these sinners is deep-seated or rooted in greed. Their actions are premeditated. They actively use their human intellect for inhumane reasons. Patrolling the Crimson Moat are a gang of centaurs, half-man, half-horse, armed with bows and arrows, which they use to keep the punished sinners from leaving the boiling river. Centaurs, historically, are known for their violence and gluttony. Like the beast we just encountered, the centaurs' mythical beginnings are the result of an unholy union and a moment of lust. Unlike the Minotaur, who is more beast than man, centaurs rely more on their human intellect, making them even more dangerous. Three of the guards separate from the group to confront Dante and Virgil. And from afar one cried, Unto what torment come ye, who down the hillside are descending? Tell us from here. If not, I draw the bow. Virgil identifies the one who threatened them, Nessus, who once tried to rape Deianira, the wife of Hercules. Though Hercules dispatched him with a poison arrow, Nessus eventually got his revenge by tricking Deianira into giving Hercules a poisoned tunic, which drove him to suicide. Virgil has little respect for Nessus and tells him he will only answer to Chiron. Chiron, who has his head hung as of contemplating, is not like the other centaurs. He was created via a different lustful union between a human and a god disguised as a horse. He was also the teacher of great heroes such as Achilles and Hercules, among others. Some see him as an example of violence against oneself because he died by accidentally dropping a poison arrow on his own foot. In some myths, this fate is shared by the third centaur, Pholus. But unlike Chiron, who was wise and just, Pholus was known to be exceptionally brutish. In general, these half-human, half-beasts exemplify the dual nature of humans and how we fluctuate from our animalistic origins and godly ideals. Dante has them numbering in the thousands here. Armed with their bows, they run single file along the bank of the boiling river of blood, shooting any sinners who try to escape their punishment. Chiron draws his bow. 
the arrow divides his beard, unveiling his mouth. He wonders aloud about Dante, who he recognizes is alive. The pilgrim shifted some of the rocks on the landslide as he descended. Virgil approaches Chiron. The poet's head only reaches the centaur's chest, where the human and horse natures join. The guide explains that he and the good pilgrim are not on vacation. They are on a necessary journey ordained by someone who is singing hallelujah. This is a reference to Beatrice, Dante's muse. Virgil assures the centaur that the pilgrim is no thief, then asks for their help getting past the river. Could one of the centaurs possibly carry the pilgrim on their back? Chiron obliges and orders Nessus to guide and protect them. According to myths, Nessus had previous experience carrying travelers across the river. Virgil calls him a faithful escort, perhaps ironically, referring to his treacherous actions against Hercules. Nessus does as he is told and leads the pilgrim and his guide along the bank of the River of Blood. As usual, the air is filled with a chorus of laments from the thousands of damned souls in the boiling river. How deep they are submerged is relative to the severity of their crimes. Tyrants who made a career of killing and pillaging are eyebrow deep. Nessus identifies the sunken sinners, since only the tops of their heads can be seen. Among them are Alexander and Dionysius. While traditional belief is that Dante is talking about Alexander the Great, the ancient Greek who once ruled half the world via military conquest, some modern Dante scholars believe the poet is referring to Alexander of Phorea. This tyrant stole his throne by murdering his kin but was eventually killed by his wife and brothers, who didn't approve of his exceptional cruelty. There's also some debate on whether Dionysius is the famous elder of Syracuse or his son. Both ruled over Sicily, though the elder is more infamous for being a tyrant. Also submerged here are Azzolin and Obizio. Azzolin, or Ezzolino de Romano of Padua, was a Ghibelline chief nicknamed Son of the Devil for his many monstrous deeds, including killing thousands of his own citizens and poking out the eyes of his noblemen. His atrocities were so severe, Pope Alexander IV launched a crusade just to capture him. Obizio was a Guelph and a supporter of the French forces that contributed to Dante's exile. He also had a reputation for being cruel and, like Alexander, was murdered by his own kin. In this case, his stepson. The pilgrim looks to his guide for confirmation of Nessus's accounts. Virgil reassures the pilgrim by inviting him to ride on Nessus's back and allow the centaur to be his guide for now. The next bunch of souls the centaur points out are submerged up to the neck. These are the murderers. Only one soul is identified here. By the description, scholars have determined this to be Englishman Guy de Montfort, who killed his cousin, Prince Henry of Cornwall, by stabbing him in the heart while he was on his knees praying in church. This sacrilegious act was in revenge for the death of Montfort's father. As one account details, when one of his supporters reminded Montfort that his father's body was also trailed or dragged through the street, at this reproach, 
de Montfort instantly re-entered the church, walked straight to the altar, and, seizing Henry's body by the hair, dragged it through the aisle and left it, still bleeding in the open street. Prince Henry's heart was supposedly preserved in a gold vase, some say was kept on a pillar at the end of London Bridge over the Thames River, or at least that was the belief during Dante's time. The next bunch of damned mention are submerged only up to their chest. Dante recognizes many, but names none. These are understood to be those who are violent against others, but not murderous. The same goes for those who are only ankle-deep, who are thought to be simple thieves and pickpockets. At this point, Dante notes that the river has become shallow enough to cross over. They have traversed half of the circular river, which gets deeper again beyond the shallow area, eventually returning to the spot which contains the tyrants. Nessus names a few more famous damned souls they would see if they continued on, such as Attila, King of the Huns, also known as the Scourge of God. Pirius, who is either the son of Achilles or the king of Epirus, both were known to be violent men. And Sextus Pompeius Magnus, who is the son of Pompey the Great, but turned to a life of piracy. The last two names mentioned, Rainier di Cornetto and Rainier Pazzo, were notorious highwaymen from Dante's own time. The last bunch are considered to be great plunderers. Their violence took the form of a lifetime of thievery. The canto comes to a swift end once they reach the other side. Nessus drops the pilgrim off, and without saying another word, turns back to return to his duty. In the next canto, Dante and Virgil enter the second ring of the seventh circle of hell, the forest of the suicides. The pilgrim meets another damned soul, a blinded poet, was falsely accused of treason, and will learn the grim fate that awaits those who take their own life. Next time on Dante's History. With the new iPhone SE for less than 100 bucks at Metro, you rule. It's the most affordable iPhone on the number one brand in prepaid. So whether you're studying online or FaceTiming, Hey, Mom. Hi, dear. The iPhone SE has all you need. Switch to Metro and get the iPhone SE for $99.99 after rebate redemption and six months of service with AutoPay. Metro by T-Mobile. Rule your day. Limit one per account slash household. Requires port and ID validation. Not valid for numbers currently on the T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Restrictions apply. See store for details.